Hello, welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Our guest today is Abby Freilix, who will be appearing in our production of The Road to Mecca by Ethel Fugard, which opens on December 2nd here at Burning Coal Theater. Uh, Abby, we're delighted to have you here and delighted to have you in the production. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I am also incredibly happy to be here and part of the show. Good. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good one. Uh, we're, we're, it's our second uh, t- time around with this one. Um, do you have, uh, before we st- start talking about you, I want to talk just a little bit about the play. Did you have a knowledge of, of the play or the playwright before, um, before we offered you this role? Um, no, actually. I remember when you first approached me while we were in rehearsals for Evita about uh, whether or not I'd be interested in doing the show and you sent me a script and I have been doing mostly classical theater for the past four years um, I remember telling you that <laughs> if it was written past 1700 I haven't heard it right. um, so yeah. it was a real pleasure to just get to sit down and read a script that while the play itself is you know not not new it's very new to me um, and it's rare that I get the chance to to encounter something that I have absolutely no knowledge of. Good. Well, he's uh, he's a fantastic uh, writer. I think he is still with us, uh, although he is quite uh, up there in age now. But I I consider him to be the the greatest living playwright in the English language. His body of work includes uh, Master Harold and the Boys, which is very a popular and well-known play from the 80s. I think uh, Matthew Broderick was in it on Broadway along with Zakes Mokai, who was mm-hmm. one of Fugard's partners in the Market Street Theater in, in Johannesburg. Um, the, uh, the other uh, uh, thing I wanted to ask about uh, before we uh, go much into your backstory is what you are working on now. Do you have, are you involved in a production now or? I. No? I'm not currently. I just wrapped up uh, Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale uh-huh, yes. at Sweet Tea Shakespeare, just a couple blocks down the road. Right. Um, and then I'm doing some uh, freelance dramaturgy work, and then I'll be teaching some uh, workshops at William Peace University next month. So are you able to, to piece together a life as an actor, <laughs> as an artist, a theater artist? Yeah. I... I definitely consider myself still in the early stages of my theater career. Um, I'm a year and some change out of grad school and I'm, I'm early career figuring it out. And definitely it is piecemeal piecework. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thankfully, I am able to, I, I love a calendar. So <laughs> <laughs> I have learned that in order Very to be important. in this in this industry, I have to be incredibly organized. I'm glaring um, at my staff member as you say that. Uh, um, we've had that conversation right? a few it's, times. It is absolutely necessary. Um, and just since being back in this area, I have had so many opportunities present themselves, whether it's performing or behind the scenes work, administration, um, and teaching as well. 
So it's, you know, it, and then serving tables to, uh-huh. to fill in the yes. interim. So it sounds um. like an actor's life <laughs> yep, to me. Pretty yeah, much. yeah, very much so. Um, so talk about the grad school. Uh, you were uh, at uh, a, a school up in Virginia, as I understand, yes. Southern Virginia. Yeah. Um, so I have my, I have a dual master's in Shakespeare and performance. So I have my master of letters and my master of fine arts um, in Shakespeare. And then my MFA has a has an acting concentration attached to it. Um, so it's a three-year degree program that is really geared towards a fully well-rounded theater artist. Um, in addition to my acting, I was expected and had the opportunity to dabble in production management and liaising between the university and the American Shakespeare Center, mm-hmm. um, which is the professional company connected with Mary Baldwin University um, and doing some fundraising and just and marketing and teaching artists. I, I worked as, the te- as a teaching artist for the American Shakespeare Center mm-hmm. for two and a half years. Going into the schools or teaching classes there at the we, center? Uh, both, actually. We would bring in a lot of college students and high school groups that were interested in doing uh, just workshops on in Shakespeare. I, I had the opportunity to teach students from ages like 12 to 75 mm-hmm. during my time, specifically in uh, Shakespeare's verse and rhetoric and staging conditions, and also textual variants in early modern playwriting culture. <laughs> uh-huh. well, this sounds very super academic. nerdy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but fascinating as well. So uh, the staging conditions d- during uh, Shakespeare's time during the Elizabethan yeah. uh, uh, Jacobean period. Uh, Elizabethan Jacobean, and then moving into Restoration as well. Uh-huh. They all worked with universal lighting uh-huh. um, because stage lighting hadn't been invented that means the sun right they were using the sun and then especially at you know the globe and the rose um and the theater when they were all all the outdoor playhouses relied on on sunlight to light the actors but it also lights the audience um and then when they moved into indoor playhouses such as the blackfriars playhouse um while it was a smaller more intimate audience they were relying on candlelight which is Mm -hmm. hard to focus So the concept of universal lighting really brings in the idea of there is no fourth wall. Um, it's a construction of the Victorian era with the, the proscenium staging. Um, we started and, putting, and putting, putting the actors up in a box. Yeah, so, right. and so with universal lighting, it becomes a conversation um, because the actors can see the audience, the audience can see the actors, and the audience can also see each other. Mm-hmm. And it really engages the audience in a way that I had never really come across. Um, you start playing with the ideas of what happens if there are no rhetorical questions. Mm-hmm. So with Hamlet, is he actually asking the audience, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question. You know, what, mm-hmm. what do I do with Someone this? Someone help me out here. Yeah, <laughs> and it it challenges the audience, especially modern audiences mm-hmm. who are used to sitting Passive. and very passively. Yeah. It challenges them to actually really listen and really engage. Mm-hmm. And 
it's fun for the actor because when you get an engaged audience member, you don't know how they're going to engage. <laughs> it we have, it uh, definitely uh, it opens yeah. up a lot of possibilities. It's, it's something that we don't aspire to much, I think, in, in uh, the 20th, 21st century theater um, <clears throat> because of that uh, unpredictability of, of the response. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I've, I've seen it. I've been at plays at the Globe, at the New Globe, you yeah. know, which was constructed in the late 90s. And uh, I've seen the dynamic um, give and take coming from the stage to the audience and back again. And, and it really is a different kind of experience. It really uh, is. It's perfect. hard to go. Once you've been doing that, it's hard to go back yeah, <laughs> to yeah. having a fourth wall. Can you, uh, can, it, can it work in a quote-unquote naturalistic play? Or must uh, there be a difference between the fourth wall uh, plays and the non-fourth wall plays? I think that it's something to experiment with. Yeah. Um, I know, again, when we were doing Evita, there were a couple times, uh, as I was playing the mistress, you know, her song is a question. Yeah. Is what happens now? And there was one night where I made eye contact with an audience member when I asked that question. And this gentleman, he was probably in his 60s, he looks at me and just mouths, I don't know. <laughs> 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 I think I made him uncomfortable yeah. by doing that, yeah. um, but it was cracking me up, and I had to like, stay in character. It's so interesting that people don't want to be engaged in that way. Yeah. You know, they, they really seem, uh, I mean, I hear people say this all the time, like on, for instance, I'm just pulling this out of the air, but like a talk show, like a Tonight Show or something, and somebody will say, oh God, it's an audience participation yeah. show. <laughs> As, as if there's it's something a, there's some terror yeah, to it yeah. as the audience member yeah, don't include me right? <laughs> I just want to sit back and I think we've been trained by television and film probably absolutely uh, to, to think of um, our art in that way uh, and other forms too you know the uh, when you go to a museum you you know the first thing you see is do not touch right and there's some things that i just want to touch <clears throat> yeah. so bad <laughs> just because you've been told <laughs> right. not to right uh, right so um so the uh the training there sounds like it was uh, visceral uh like you had a chance to be up on your feet a lot was i know that the, they have a the blackfriars type uh, indoor theater. Is there mm -hmm. a, an Elizabethan stage there as well? There is, yes. Yeah. So the American Shakespeare Center works out of the Blackfriars mm -hmm. Playhouse, which is the only recreation of Shakespeare's play, indoor playhouse in the world. Yeah. Um, it's not a faithful reproduction, and they will be the first people to say that um, because they have indoor plumbing, first uh -huh. of all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is as faithful a recreation based on the research of some very, very smart people. Yeah. Um, and they're constantly, they're, they treat it as an experiment in and of itself. Why, did, why was it built? <laughs> because p nerdy people love Shakespeare. Yeah. And but there. Uh, but there, there, it was a, I, it's been a while since I've told the yeah. story, so it's a little fuzzy. Um, but a lot of it came down to that's where they found the support for it uh -huh. um, through Mary Baldwin University, James Madison up in Harrisonburg, which is only half an hour away. Yeah. Um, the American Shakespeare Center was founded in 1988 as a touring company. And so they were already touring 
um, and had a lot of community connections and yeah. Stanton was very welcoming mm -hmm. to them. There was the space and, and the support for it. It's interesting because Stanton's in the southern uh, quarter of the mm -hmm. state, I would say, which is a very rural it's area. the southwestern Shenandoah Valley. There's, mm -hmm. yeah, it is, it is a little, little pocket of arts in a rural district. What, what, uh, what about that is attractive to that community, do you think? Um, so it's a, I think it's just ideally situated as a weekend getaway for mm -hmm. a lot of people. So it's a, a destination person. theater. Yeah. Um, they're right in the middle of Shenandoah wine country. Yeah. So there's scads of vineyards and breweries and distilleries and hiking. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of uh, people from Charlottesville and DC and Richmond will come down for the weekend and make an entire event of it. And they're a repertory company. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, in a weekend you can see three shows and it's the same actors, mm -hmm. which is another just absolutely mind-boggling like brain experiment for the actors. You know, this afternoon I'm playing, you know, Banquo, and then tonight I'm playing Helen in All's Well That Ends Well. Yeah, like yeah. you could, it's, yeah, like, it's like they did during Shakespeare. Yeah, day, it yeah. is mental gymnastics yeah. for the actor, which sure. is really uh, something that we don't see a lot anymore, and it's something that a lot of actors are craving. I think. When the, when the American regional theater movement happened, uh, really in the late 40s, I think, uh, mostly. I mean, the, the, the little theater movement had started in the 20s, and that was mm -hmm. a community theater movement. But, but after the S Second World War, there was a movement to professionalize a lot of that kind of work. And, and all of the original companies were companies like that, were repertory yeah. companies. Trinity Rep in Providence, mm -hmm. which I had a chance to work at, uh, um, the arena stage up in D.C., the alley in uh, Houston, the Dallas Theater Center. Um, and interestingly, of those four that I mentioned, three of them were run by women originally. Really? Yeah, I did artistic. not know that. Well, Zelda Fitzchandler at okay. the arena was in, actually came in the second year. I think there was a, a man who started the company, and she was his managing director, and it became clear very quickly that she was the real mover and shaker in that mm -hmm. duo, and so she took over. But both the Dallas Theater Center... Which, was, which started out with the name Theater 49, because it was made in 49, and The Alley were both run by women, and after the first year or so was Arena Stage. And so there was a lot of uh, uh, women-driven arts groups, and I think part of that was that we had lost so many men during the Second World War, but part of it also was that hoary old idea that uh, the arts are a women's thing <laughs> instead of a men's thing, which we st seem to still hang on to to this day. Um, when you're uh, thinking about the other aspect of your of your education, though, the more letters focused mm -hmm. aspect of it, how does that? You know, a lot of people talk about Shakespeare as having been intended to be spoken, not yes. read. Uh, do you, first of all, do you agree with that idea? And then, secondly, how, do, how does that translate into a, a study of a rigorous study of letters? Yeah, uh, um, I think first, I think the no, the nomenclature of a master of letters is a little deceiving. Um, I always like to say, like, yes, I have mastered all of the letters. I know all twenty-six of all them 26 now. Twenty-six of them. <laughs> but even how are in you that, on the uh, consonants? On the consonants, I'm, I'm still working, and my shaking. my undergraduate degree is musical theater, so I can count to eight. So we're good. <laughs> I've got all the very basics covered. Nice. Um, yeah, I know. I absolutely. 
agree that Shakespeare and his contemporaries, because he was not the only person writing at the time, shocker, um, (laughs) that they they were writing to be heard and not to be read, while you know, the printing culture was very much in its infancy um, during that time. Right. And I don't remember all the dates specifically, but it was... You when know, the printing the press The printing press out, was yeah. still rather new. Yeah. Um, and purchasing play scripts was a novelty, and there mm-hmm. were a lot, of, a lot of quartos that were sold um, as, you know, the plays became popular but they became popular because they were heard first and not read first. Um, and quarto simply means the paper was folded yeah, over twice. Yeah. Right? So. <laughs> it was, you got your folio, folio, quarto, octavo, septimo, and everything gets smaller and smaller. Right. Um, and it was, you know, the our version of a paperback, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, but for me, I have always approached things academically. Um, to, <laughs> Whether or not that's a good thing for my acting career, I don't know. But that's how I that's how I approach things. I love research. I love digging into the whys and hows. And uh, early modern theater specifically offers a really interesting blueprint in that everything is uh, it's for the actor. Like everything in the script is for the actor because there were no directors. Right. The, again, it, the director came into being in the 18th, 19th century. Right. Um, the Duke of Saxe-Meiningen was the first director. <laughs> yeah. Am I, it's am I right such about a, that? I, that sounds right. Yeah, a German it's, guy, it's like, if I remember. Oh man. Yeah. And you know, I I love directors. I I love being told what to do to an extent. Um, but I love that Shakespeare offers us a blueprint of you don't have to have a director to be able to perform this. Um, So why is the comma in in the middle of the verse instead of at the end? Because is that a change in breath, which means a change in thought? Um, You know, how do we use, because it is in heightened language, you're working with iambic and trochaic lines. Does your character speak specifically in iambic or trochaic or are they just kind of all over the place and how does that affect your portrayal as an actor um i did henry four part one a few years ago right and i i played bardolph and blunt which is the craziest doubling um and you know bardolph speaks mostly in i in prose and he's just completely out there but then blunt I realize that every single line that he speaks is blunt. perfectly, it's blunt, <laughs> but it's perfectly iambic. Yeah. So he is, by the book, he is wrote, he is yep. a military commander until the moment that he comes in to tell the king that Hotspur's army is there and then he goes into trochaic line Meaning because he's panicking. He's panicking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his, you know, his world is shifting. And just, I mean, it's one line that changes that yeah. for him, but it's something that is written into the text. Is it, is it possible that, that Shakespeare was that smart? Or uh, the, another option is that we have gone back and given those meanings to, to things where he was just writing stuff. You know, I think it's probably a combination, but he's super dead, so what's he going to say about it? <laughs> he has no say whatsoever <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it is interesting just to trace 
how he does develop as a playwright throughout his career because it was so long and we, because we have so many of his plays. Yeah. Um, you know, Marlowe died so young that we don't know how he would have progressed. We don't have as many of Webster's plays or Lily's plays, and Lily's plays are all basically the same anyway that we have. Yeah. Um, so I think Shakespeare, if nothing else, he's a really interesting case study yeah. for how playwrights of the time were thinking and writing. And he was very smart and had very well-connected friends. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't writing by himself either, I think is the thing that we forget frequently, is that the idea of the author as you know the sole individual yeah. wasn't really a concept. Everybody collaborated, like Marlowe, collaborated with Shakespeare and Fletcher and Webster and I I'm blanking on so many names but there yeah. are I mean to say that Shakespeare is here is above everybody else I think is putting everybody else down when they were contributing to those works as well, well and some of his plays are not not great no uh, there's no a few of them that uh, I always <laughs> worry when I have to go see them. You know? There's some I'm like, this is not a great play, but I still love it. Yeah. And then there's the ones that, you yeah. know, I I appreciate Hamlet, but if I don't have to go see a production of Hamlet for five years, yeah. I would be so happy. I just saw, uh, I just saw uh, Ian McKellen. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's an exception, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, although, you know. I, I would see that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess uh, to to shift gears yeah. just slightly, then um, when you so so you started out um, in the theater uh, in high school uh, before I was five. Five years old. I was my I was in my very first play when I was five. I was a tree. And how, what sort <laughs> of what sort of tree were you? Uh, I, it was a Christmas play with uh, a. Uh, my parents put me in acting classes when uh -huh. I was five okay. with a small company that was in Fuquay and is now in Garner. Um, it's still around. It is, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it was Christian Youth Theater when I was there mm -hmm. from age five all the way through high school. Um, and they're now called Spiritual Twist Productions. So they teach from ages like four to 18, yeah. um, doing specifically musical theater. Um, but the first, first play that I was in with them was just a little class Christmas play and yeah. it was three scenes is the ballad of little tree and I was little tree you were the, the title and character. really the only thing I remember is I was so upset because I never got to go off stage and had to hold my arms up as the branches the entire time uh -huh. and it was very strenuous as a five-year-old yeah, for a five-year-old just to be still for yeah. that long is a, is a problem <laughs> and and so the parents kind of ushered you into mm -hmm. that and and uh you know, sometimes when, when that happens with youngsters, they do what youngsters do, which is to run in the other direction mm -hmm. as quick as they can. But you didn't. You stayed with it. Uh, yeah. What, what was the trajectory after that? So my parents were very much of the mind of try everything and see what sticks. Um, so I did dance and piano and art classes and t-ball one time, and that was the only sport that I've ever played. Mm -hmm. um, and they encouraged all of all of my siblings to do the same to find out like what we liked, yeah. and if we didn't like it, we didn't have to stick with it. Um, but acting was was the thing that stuck. Not sure if that's to my parents' chagrin or yeah. credit at this yeah. point. They've been very supportive. Yeah. 
I had a, I had a, my school didn't have theater at all in my high school, but they had something called speech, mm-hmm. speech one and two. And my father had been in the Masons, you know, and he yeah. believed in that idea of public speaking and you have to be able to get up in front of people and speak well, you know, and so mm-hmm. he sh- forced us into that class <laughs> and I think regretted it for the rest right. of his life. No, he didn't really, he didn't really regret it, but, uh, but he was not, uh, it was not what he was expecting, uh, you know, when he said, you're doing. So it's one of those, oops. Yeah. Tom Stoppard's what? What, uh, what, what did I what? do? Um, so, uh, so, so then uh, you go through high school, and a lot of people do this. A lot of young people, you know, find uh, one or other extracurricular activity they refer to it as. Uh, but then, a lot of people, when they finish high school, they decide to go on to a more lucrative pursuit like accounting or something like that <laughs> dentistry um, and uh, and you didn't uh, you decided to stay with it uh, can you talk about the the decision making process yeah, there i my path even though it sounds like my path is very straight like i knew what i wanted to do from a young age and now i'm doing it um, that's not i i definitely have taken some detours in high school I remember when we were looking at colleges my dad was very adamant that if I was going to study theater I was going to double major so that I could actually have that lucrative career and still hopefully I think he was hoping that I would just choose to do theater on the side Um, and so I was going to double major in theater and marketing and was accepted into a university to do that and decided not to um, and I moved to Australia instead. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I, I was fortunate enough to get accepted into a music program in Australia, in Brisbane, for seven mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that and then moved to Atlanta for two years mm-hmm. and didn't really do any theater. And at that point, thought that I wasn't going to ever do theater again. Um, I'd kind of given it up. It, was, it had become so much of my identity that it was unhealthy. Um, so I, I needed to step away from it for a while. Mm. And in 2009, I decided to move back to Raleigh um, and just get my associate's degree and figure out what I wanted to do from there. Um, was given the opportunity to actually teach at the company that I grew up taking classes mm-hmm. from. And so that got me back in the door of doing theater. And I was with them for four years while I was pursuing my associate's degree and then transferred to get my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater from William Peace here in Raleigh. Um, And so I kind of, I took this detour and ended up right back where I thought I would be as a kid, which, Mm -hmm. but with a very different mindset, I think, um, a healthier, healthier mindset of it. And I definitely, I believe in doing it because I love it and as soon as I don't love it anymore I'm not going to do it but right now all of the opportunities for quote-unquote lucrative grown-up jobs yeah. have been like nope we're not going to do that and the doors that have opened have been to do theater which yeah. I'm incredibly grateful for well we are too you did uh, Sunday in the Park with George with us uh, yeah. before you went uh, to Mary Baldwin um, mm-hmm. and uh, we're looking forward to working with you again uh, in the road to Mecca um, last uh, comments uh, about uh, Elsa the character you're playing in Mecca Ooh, Anything you wanna... she's got a lot of memorizing to do uh-huh. yeah <laughs> 
That's a big role. It is. It's a big role, and it's a. I'm really looking forward to doing a small cast size show, um, not a small show at all. It's, no, but it's it's, it's a chamber. It's piece. a chamber piece, and it's. I'm very excited and just looking forward to diving into the work because um, it's very different than what I have been doing recently. So I'm excited for the challenge. Well, we're ex- excited to have you uh, have you back uh, under our roof, uh, happy, <laughs> and hope, hope it's the first of many to come. Um, welcome back to town, and uh, and thank you for uh, for your work with us in the past. And Absolutely, we'll- thanks for for letting me back into play in the sandbox. Thank you for listening. The Road to Mecca by Athel Fugard will run through Sunday, December 19th. For tickets or more information, give us a call at 919-834-4001 or visit us online at burningcoal.org. Burning Coal's production of The Road to Mecca is sponsored by The Classical Station. Listen at 89.7 FM or online at theclassicalstation.org.